Thanks, Pastor Dave. Thank you, thank you. Welcome, everybody, to church this morning. Glad you woke up, got here on time. Welcome to everybody watching uh, through the screen. If you are new here or if maybe you're checking out for the second or third week, thank you for being here with us. And um, my name is Greg, one of the pastors. I'll be bringing the word today. And as Pastor Dave shared, we're in the series, What We Believe. As if you remember a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how, man, this is not a time for us to shrink back in our faith. This is not a time to be lukewarm. It is so important that we are firm in what we believe because it is what the Bible says, and we know it, and we're able to share that with others. So today I want to talk about how is it that we can believe in the Trinity? How is it that we believe in one God, yet he exists in three persons? Right? We talked about how is it we can trust the Bible, how do we know God exists, but today how do we know that that one God exists as three persons. I want to start off by sharing about how a few years ago I was at a college retreat and over the course of that weekend I got to know the college pastor of that church pretty well, got to talk a lot and I just really appreciated his heart for his ministry and his, his love for God. It just seemed so genuine. And my wife was with me, uh, Monica and I got to know him and his wife. Um, and we walked away from that retreat thinking, man, that, that's a cool couple. Like, we really liked them. Well, sometime after that retreat, Monica and I, we were on a date night. We went out for dinner one Thursday night, and we were at a small Japanese restaurant, and we put our name in. As we're waiting for the table, I look, and I see over at the bar my pastor friend. And apparently he's on a date night as well, but I look and the lady sitting next to him sharing a drink with him is not his wife. And so I'm like hiding. I'm like, Monica, don't look, but Pastor Chris is here. Look. She looks. I'm like, and I don't think that's his wife. She goes, it's not. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Right? <laughs> and so I'm like, you know what? I'm calling him out on this. And so I text him. I take out my phone and I'm like, I'm going to text him. So I say, Hey, so are you out enjoying dinner with your wife? And I watch to see if he's going to text back. And he's like ghosting me. Like he's not even answering his phone. He's not, obviously he doesn't want his spicy date to be interrupted. And so I'm watching and I get a text. It says, no. I'm like, what are you talking about? No, you're, you're right there. And, and then I get another text and it says, we're just at home. Well, I find out he has a twin brother <laughs> who apparently is enjoying a date night with his wife. And I'm like, oh, thank God. I almost sucker punched the guy, right? But here's, here, I was sharing this story with a mutual friend of ours. I'm like, this is what happened. I didn't know he had a twin brother. Oh, my gosh. And then my friend, our mutual friend, starts laughing. He's like, how could you even mistake them? Like, they don't even look alike. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're identical twins. He's like, yeah, but they look nothing alike. They're totally different. And that's the difference between me who I, I, I'm just getting to know one of them, right, and, and just finding out that there's twins compared to my friend who grew up with them, who's very familiar with the brothers. And to him, though they are identical, are distinctly different. And I share that with you because we worship God. God is God. God is good. He created us and God saves us from our sin and, and, and God died for us and he, he gives us power and he walks with us, which is all true. Amen. 
But I pray that as we grow intimate with God, as we walk with him more and more, that we would learn to worship God for who he is. That we'd learn to see the distinctions between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The question is, how, how is that possible that we say there's one God, yet God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is God? I'm glad you asked. And I'd love to spend this time this morning to explain what the Bible says about the doctrine of the Trinity, this foundational truth that we hold to as Christians. So let's pray, and let's, let's ask the Holy Spirit to lead us into his truth, okay? Let's pray. Father God, I pray for this moment right now, God, that it would be yours, that you would own it, that it would be your Holy Spirit who teaches us truths about you, God our Father, and Christ the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would take us deeper. I pray that we would strive to know you more intimately. And God, I, I, I pray for, for everyone listening right now. That not only would you help us to understand it more, but you would help us to be able to communicate this to those that we talk to. That we would have a burden and a compassion for those who do not know you, God. So help us to know this well so that we can communicate it well. And Lord, we know we can't do that without the Spirit of God opening up our eyes and illuminating your truth. And so I pray this morning as, as just a man on the stage, I pray that nothing I say would be remembered, that nothing I say would be shared, nothing I say would make sense, unless it's true, and it's of you. And if it is, God, we ask that you would plant that deep into our hearts and use it in the most opportune moments. And so we ask, Lord, that you would come, speak to us now through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all say, amen. 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 So first of all, before we even start talking about the Trinity, I want to make it clear to you that the word Trinity is not to be found in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. But neither is the word Bible. And neither is the word discipleship. And neither is the word rapture. Does it mean those things don't exist and they're not true? No, they absolutely are true ideas and concepts that are made clear to us in the Bible. And the Trinity, the word is not in the Bible, but this foundational doctrine, this foundational truth to the Christian faith is very clear in the scriptures. Now, when we try to understand the Trinity, how in the world can we understand this? I think what we tend to do is we tend to run to try to find a human analogy to describe God in human terms. And maybe you've done this. And so, like, we'll give an analogy. One of the most common ones is to say the Trinity is kind of like, like water, right? Like this one essence, H2O, but, but if you freeze it, it's ice. If you melt it, it's liquid. And if you heat it up, it's gas, it's steam. Three in one, which is, which is good, but it's not a perfect analogy. It's kind of like when I used to say, kind of like this water illustration, I, I used to say, well, I'm one person, I'm Greg Ma, but I'm simultaneously the son of my father, Sydney. I'm the father of my son, Evan, and I'm brothers with Daniel Ma. Simultaneously, three different people in one person. But where these analogies fall short is what we call modalism. 
And theologians use this word modalism, which they say is a heresy if you apply that to God, because God is not one person who switches between different modes. He's not one person putting on different hats and different costumes, as if Clark Kent, who steps into a phone booth, puts on a cape, and he steps out, and he's Superman. And we can't think of God as one person who is Father in heaven, and he decides, I'm going to step out into earth, put on flesh, and I'm Jesus the Son. And then I'm going to make myself invisible, go inside of you, and I'm the Holy Spirit. No, that's modalism, and he doesn't exist by switching into different modes. So it doesn't perfectly describe the Trinity. Then we got, we got some analogies, kind of like the egg. Right? And maybe you've used this before and you say, well, the egg has the shell, and it's got the egg white, and it's got the yolk. And there's three that, when together, form one. Similar to the shamrock analogy. We've got three leaves on a clover, and those three come together as one clover. Or a pretzel with three holes put together, it's one pretzel. Which isn't bad, but it's not perfect. It falls short. How? Well, the earlier illustrations I, sh I showed you, we, we would say that's modalism. Well, these analogies would be partialism, where the eggshell is only part of the egg, and the yolk is only part of the egg, and the egg white is part of the egg. And it's heretical, which is a false idea to say that God, the Father, is only one-third God, and Jesus, the Son, is one-third God, and the Spirit is one-third God, but put them together, it's one God. That's not true. For the Father is 100% divine in very nature. The Son is 100% divine in very nature. And the Spirit is 100% divine in very nature. So is it wrong to use these analogies? Like, I, you know I'm about analogies. I have nothing against analogies. If, if BTS can help you understand better the heavenly rewards, you know I'm going to use it. Or if mountain biking can help you fix your focus on heaven. Or if coronavirus and its existence can help you understand the reliability of Scripture, you know I'm going to use the analogy. But there are some things about the divine mysteries of God that I don't think any human analogy can completely capture. That divine mystery. And I think the Trinity of God is one of those things that we can try, but we may fall, fall short. So some people will say, don't even use these analogies. And I would say, you know what? I wouldn't tell you not to, but if you do use these analogies, I would make sure that you say to the person you're sharing with, it's not perfect. It falls short. And then use where it falls short to show that God is so much greater than that. He is beyond that. So I want to go on and show you beyond analogies what you can do. And I think better than using analogies or in addition to the analogies, show them what the Word of God says. And what I want to do now, I'm going to give you what the Word of God says about the Trinity. I'll give you a three-second pitch to explain the Trinity. Then I'll give you a 30-second elevator pitch and then I'll give you, within 30 minutes, a way to break it down, if you're able to, okay? So here we go, the, the Trinity. Here, here's the three-second pitch. Ready? Timing. Here we go. God is three in one, one God in three persons. Boom. Three seconds. 
So the next time you're jogging at Wilson Park and someone runs by and says, hey, explain the Trinity to me. God is three in one, one in three person. Thank you. Have a good day. Right? You got in three seconds. But let's say you're in an elevator and the person goes, hey, what, what floor are you going to? You're all like, ah, oh, three, please. All right. Three. Speaking of three, do you know anything about the Trinity? Glad you asked. Well, you could tell them this. I'm going to put up a definition for you. 30 seconds. The Trinity is the essential teaching in the Bible that says that there is one God who exists eternally in three distinct persons. And when we say one, we're talking about the what. When we say three, we're talking about the who. The what is the divine essence, the being. The who is the persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Third floor, bing, you're there. Thank you very much. Have a great day. But now let's say you're at a coffee shop with a friend you really care about. Or maybe you're, you're eating lunch and they want to know more about why do you believe what you believe? Tell me about Christianity. And they ask you this hard thing about how is it you believe in one God yet three persons? So I want to share with you from this definition we just put up. There's one God who exists eternally in three distinct persons. Here's how you could do it. And, and where, where you're sitting, if you're here, uh, here in the house, you have a napkin on your chair if you pick up that napkin. And hopefully you have a pen. And if you're at home, uh, grab a napkin from the kitchen. I want to show you what you can do. And I want to break that definition down into three parts. So the first thing you could do is say, there's one God. So on your napkin, you're going to write down and show how we believe there is one God. There's one God. Not because you say so, but because the Bible says so. So as you're writing that down, I want to remind you that Christianity is a monotheistic faith. Mono means one Theos is God, so we believe in one God. Like some of the world's largest religions, like Islam, Judaism, they're all monotheistic in faith. We're not polytheists, believing in poly or many gods, like Buddhism or Hinduism. But we, we believe there's one God, and the Bible tells us so. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, to the Jews, they know this as the Shema. And Shema means to hear. It's the first word of the central prayer in the Old Testament. And it goes like this in Deuteronomy 6, 4. Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that is central to the teaching of the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the entire Bible, it's very clear there's one God. Now, here's what's interesting. I love this. If you turn to the first verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Here is what it says. This is an introduction to God in the Bible. It says in Genesis 1, 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Circle that word created. That word created in the Hebrew is the word bara. And the way it's written, it's written in the singular form. What that tells us is that only one created the heavens and the earth. Only one being. And the question is, who is the one who created the heavens and the earth? Well, it tells us right there, God 
created the heavens and the earth. Now, why is this so cool, Pastor Greg? Well, because the word for God here is the word Elohim. Everyone say Elohim. Elohim. One more time. Elohim. Elohim. Elohim is the plural form of the word Eloah. Eloah means God. Elohim. Whenever you put Eim at the end of a Hebrew word, it makes it masculine plural. So you take Elohim by itself, it should read God's plural. But because it's attached to a, a verb created, bara, which has a singular conjugation, it tells us there was only one God who created the heavens and the earth. Now, why, why does it say that one created the heavens and the earth, yet God is in plural form? And why is it that later on in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that one God says, let us make man in our image? Why? Well, as a Christian who believes to the whole, who believes in the whole counsel of the scripture, we believe is because there's one God who exists eternally in three distinct persons. That very, in the very beginning, the introduction of the Bible, we see our triune God at work in the scriptures. So, so there's one God. You share that with your friend. But then you want to let them know what the Bible says about this God. And you want to point out that the Bible says that the Father is God. The Bible calls the Father God. The Father is called God in the Bible. So, you, so maybe you want to write something like this down. Father is God. And then you can show them, if you have time, that the scriptures say this. And this is probably undisputed among those who belong to a monotheistic faith, right? Like, for example, even the Jews, they wouldn't argue that the Father in heaven is God. Jesus is, is, is going against the Jews. They don't agree on everything, but Jesus says in John 8, 54, Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. And so Jesus is saying, look, you might not believe everything I say about me, but you believe that the Father in heaven is God. And that's something that they agreed on. The Jews believe this, but not just the Jews, the Gentiles too. Paul writes to the Gentiles in Romans, in, in Rome, and in Romans 1 verse 7, it says this, to all in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Gentiles, too, believe that the Father in heaven is God. It's, it's undisputed among monotheists. Now, here's what sets Christians apart from the entire world. See, Muslims and Jews believe Jesus was a historical figure. They don't deny that he actually walked the earth. But he's not God. And yet what sets Christians apart is the teaching that Jesus is God. How do we know? Because the Bible tells me so. So you want to write this down and, and, and say that the Son is called God in the Bible. 
Say, the Son is called God in the Bible. Now, let's be honest. I know a lot of Christians actually question this. And maybe you, like, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. But does the Bible ever say explicitly that Jesus is God? And maybe you've wrestled with this. And I have too. I'm glad you asked. Because the Bible is very clear on this. Let me show you John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. John writes, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. So whatever this word is, it was with him in eternity past. And the word was God. So not only was the word with God in eternity past, the word is in very nature God. Now, what is this word? Who is this word? Glad you asked. He goes on in verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So this word became flesh and this word came from the father. Not the father became flesh. No, the word came from the father is the one and only son. And so right there explicitly in John chapter 1, we see that Jesus is God. Well, that's just one verse. Maybe we're reading that wrong. Well, where else in the Bible? Well, turn, turn to Revelations. Book of Revelation, chapter 1. We, we see that in the end times, in the last days, Jesus will come riding on clouds of glory, the one who was crucified. And then what does he say? Well, Revelation 1.8, he declares, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says who? The Lord God, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. Some people will say, well, I mean, yeah, Jesus is in the clouds, but maybe that's the Father's voice coming out. Maybe God the Father is saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. God the Father is Lord God. Well, let me clarify this. Go to the last chapter of, of Revelation, chapter 22, same book, same author. And in Revelation 22, we see that Jesus will come again. Riding on clouds of glory. We learned a couple weeks ago that he's going to come, and at the Bema Sea, he's going to give rewards for the faithful, right? Look what it says in 22, verse 12 and 13. Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Wait, hold on, hold on. Chapter 1, the Lord God says, I'm the Alpha and Omega. Chapter 22, Jesus the Son says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Who is the Alpha and the Omega, God or Jesus? Yes. They are both absolutely true statements. For the Bible says Jesus is the Lord our God. So the Father is God. Jesus is God. But what about the Holy Spirit? I mean, is the Holy Spirit God? You can write this down. Show your friend and write this down. The Holy Spirit is called God in the Bible. And you could point them to Acts chapter 5. And in Acts chapter 5, there's this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And they're, they're part of this, the, the early church. And at that time, people were selling their possessions and giving to the community. 
And so Ananias and Sapphira sell their house, right? And, and they have this profit, and they don't tell anybody. But between them, they start pocketing some of the profit and then give the rest to the church. But they don't want anybody to know that they've deceived everybody. But who knows? The Holy Spirit knows. He's omniscient. And the Holy Spirit reveals what they've done, and, and Peter finds out. He says this in Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to who? The Holy Spirit. Goes on in the next verse, verse 4. You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Who did they lie to, to the Holy Spirit, or did they lie to God? Yes. Both are absolutely true statements. For the Holy Spirit is referred to as God in the Scriptures. The Father is 100% God, the Son is 100% God, and the Holy Spirit is 100% in very nature divine. And so here we have... A picture from the scriptures that the Father is fully God, the Son is fully God, the Spirit is fully God. But now let me show you so that you can show your friend how each person in the Trinity, in the Godhead, is distinct and not the same. So the, the definition again, we'll put it up. And this is the second part we want to, or the third part. There is one Father who exists eternally in three distinct, and that's the key word, distinct persons. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you have to understand, are the same. How? In essence, that's what we call divine being, right? For example, like you and I, we're, we're human beings, right? You're a human being. I'm a human being, right? Let me show you a picture of our six pastors, okay? Our six pastors, we got Dan, James, Dave, Gary, myself, Caleb. Most of us in this picture are human beings. <laughs> Most of us. All of us are human beings. Now let me ask you, look very carefully, who is more human being than the other? Who is more and who is less? Well, nobody's more human being and no one's less. We are 100. That's who we are in very nature. And in the same way, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are divine being. In very nature, they are God. No, who's more God? Is the Father more God? Is Jesus more God? Is the Spirit? No, 100% same in essence. Secondly, they're the same in worth. I mean, look at this picture again. Look very closely. Who's more worthy or valuable in the eyes of God? Is it Pastor Gary because he's, more, he's a senior pastor? So he's more valuable to God? Is it, is it Pastor Dan because he's helped lead the missions effort for the past few years here, which is a very noble cause, and it's, it's going to the ends of the earth with the gospel? Is it Dan? Is it Caleb because he plays more instruments than the rest of us? Is it Pastor James because he's completed Iron Man triathlon? Now that's superhuman. Right? Is he more valuable to God? No. The answer is in God's eyes, we were all valuable and worthy enough for him to come and die on the cross to purchase us for eternity. And in the same way, God, the, 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 the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 100% divine, 
Each member of the Trinity is worthy of all our praise and all our worship and all honor. So the same in essence and in worth, but distinctly different. How? In role and authority. And so you want to show from the scriptures, and you can write this on your napkin, how the Father is not, he's not the Son. And so it should start looking like this. And he is not the Spirit. See, right? He is not the Spirit either. The Father is not the Son nor the Spirit. The Father sends the Son. Anybody know John chapter 3, verse 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The father gave his son. He sent his son. It doesn't say the father became the son. No, he sends the son. And so the son comes. He dies for us. And then he resurrects and he returns to heaven. And when the son returns to heaven... Who does the Father now send? The Spirit. Right? So John chapter 14, verse 26 says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said. And so so there's this, this difference in the Father is the one sending the Son and the Spirit. You go back to the example of our pastors. We're all 100% humans. We're all, all equal in God's eyes in terms of our value and worth. But Pastor Gary is very different from Pastor Dave. And Pastor Dave is very different from Pastor Gary. One is so much cooler than the other. I'm just kidding. No. They're, they're both cool, but they are very different in what? In roles and authority. So like this past year, Pastor Gary sent Dave, commissioned Dave to start a young adult ministry. And so Pastor Dave took that instruction and he launched our young adult ministry, which special plug, shameless plug. Next Sunday, we're going through sex and purity uh, in the Faith Center at 1245. There's a young adult uh, Gathering. We're going to do lunch, so make sure you RSVP, go online, go on our app, make sure RSVP that because we want to get lunch for you guys, but we're going to be talking about sex and purity. Please come. But that's an instruction that Dave took from Pastor Gary, who he recognizes has authority. Different in role and, and um, authority. So the Father is not the Son, and he's not the Spirit. Now, you want to show that the Son is not the Father, and in the same way, He is not the Spirit. Okay? Because the Son is very distinct as well. In the garden, there's that scene where Jesus is about to go to the cross for, for your sins and mine. And there's this moment of deep, intense anguish, and Jesus is in the garden, and what's He found doing? Well, he's not talking to himself. He's not like, oh, I don't want to go to the cross. Yes, you do. No, I don't, but you should. Like, he's not talking to himself. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the Father. And he's crying out to the Father. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, 
He cries out and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And thank God. Praise Jesus that ultimately in obedience, God the Son submits to God the Father and he goes to the cross. And after he dies, he comes back to life. He resurrects, he ascends back into heaven. And when he goes to heaven, then the Father sends another, the Holy Spirit. And John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. In, in other words, he's saying, man, disciples, don't be traumatized. This is a good thing. It benefits you that I leave. Because I leave, then the Father will send another to live and dwell in you forever. He will be with you each day. God will be with you. A holy other. So Jesus is not the Father, and Jesus is not the Spirit. And by now, within 20 minutes or so of your conversation with your friend in that coffee shop or that restaurant, you have a picture here where we have one triune God, where the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God, according to the Scriptures. But we also celebrate the fact that the Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father or the Son. There is one God who exists eternally in three distinct persons. And that is our God. Now, I want to close by asking this. Why, why, why does it matter? Why, why do we need to study the Trinity? Why? Well, I want to give you two in closing. Here's why it matters to you and to me. Number one, the more we know God intimately, the more we will know God accurately. And that matters. The more we know God intimately, the more we will know God accurately. My brother, Daniel Ma, he attends this church, and a lot of times he'll serve at the Next Steps table, uh, where I also serve as well. And there's a lot of times he's told me when uh, people will come up to him, talking to him, thinking that he's me. And he doesn't want to correct them because he feels bad. And so many of you have had conversations with my brother thinking it was me. Now, I get it, right? We got masks, and some of you guys are new to the church, and you're, you're just getting familiar with us. So if you think my brother is me, or you think I am him, I ain't mad at you. That's okay. That happens. But what if my wife, Monica, after service goes out into the lobby looking for me, and I'm standing there, and my brother is standing there, and she goes, honey, you did a great job. And she gives a big bear hug and gives a big fat kiss on the lips to my brother. Like, I'd be, yo, like, Monica, like, I'm right here. Like, it's me, Greg, look. Like, I shouldn't have to do that. Why? Because we have grown in intimacy as husband and wife, and I expect that that intimacy produces inaccuracy. Like, you should know the difference between me and my brother who's nine years younger than me. 
And in the same way, like, we should know God, our Father. We should know God the Son. And we should know God the Holy Spirit. The more we walk with him and the more we grow with him. I remember my, my friend at my previous church was very gifted in, uh, in music. He was a songwriter. He was our worship leader. And he wrote this song, really good song. We sang it often when we got together to worship on Sundays and Friday nights. And it was a great song, but there's this one line that just made me squirm. And, and the line saying, Father, no, actually it said, Jesus, are you there? It is I, your child, whom you love. And, and, and every time we sing, I just couldn't sing that line because I'm like, oh, but that's not true. Right? Because Jesus is not my father. I'm not a son of Jesus. That would make the heavenly father my heavenly grandfather. Right? Like, he's not. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 and elsewhere in Romans that Jesus is our Brother, spiritual brother, because Jesus is a son of God who shares in human likeness. And as you are a son of God and you are a daughter of God, we are brothers. Now, right, it's like saying, like, nobody says, oh, Holy Spirit, we worship you. Thank you for hanging on the cross. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for shedding your blood. Right? Like, that's not true. Nobody celebrates Christmas and says, the father was born of the Virgin Mary. And whole how we adore baby father, right? <laughs> like, no, that's not accurate. I was so blessed that one Sunday we went to church and we began to worship and it was that song again. And we got to that line and, and my friend had changed the lyric officially and it read, Father, are you there? It is I your child whom you love. And I love that my friend, as he was growing in the knowledge of his God through the understanding of the word, as he's growing in intimacy, he was knowing God more accurately. And I, more than it pleasing me, I believe it pleased our Father in heaven. And so the more we know God intimately, the more we will know him accurately. And the more we understand this Trinitarian teaching, we're able to worship the Father for who he is. And the Son for who He is, what He's done. The Holy Spirit for what He does in our lives. Number two, why else does it matter? The more we accept the Trinity, the more we admire God's mystery. This is why it matters. The more we study it and the more we accept the Trinity, the more we admire God's mystery. I was going to call this message, The Trinity Explained. I changed it to... How to explain the Trinity? Because I realize it will never be done. We will never fully grasp the Trinity of God. But the more we study it, the more we study scriptures, the more we ought to conclude God is God and I am not. God is God and man is not. And something about that should draw us in awesome wonder. Like, how, like it's impossible. It's as impossible as trying to explain any other wonder of God. Right? How many of you have ever been able to successfully explain to another person, how is it that God said, let there be light, and boom, the sun came into existence? Are you able to explain that? Or can you explain how is it that Jesus spoke and the water, H2O, turned into fine wine? Like, are you able to explain what happened to all those molecules and how, how did it become wine? 
How many of you are able to explain thoroughly how is it that Jesus, though he was beaten and battered, bruised beyond recognition, his heart stops beating, his lungs stop breathing, goes into the tomb, three days later, his heart beats again. And his lungs breathe again and he comes out beautiful, glorified, and ascends into heaven. Can you explain that? No, we share it. But do you not just step back and say, because God is God, and I am not. And I can't explain it, but I believe it with my heart. I can't explain how God created the sun, but I know it happened because I live in his light every day. And I can't explain how God resurrected his son, but I believe it happened because I live in his light every day. I I can't explain it, but I've come to know the Father because of the sacrifice of His Son. And I experience the working of His Holy Spirit every day. I can't explain it, but I know this. God is God, and I am not. And that's why I need Him, and that's why I trust Him, and that's why I'm madly in love with Him. God is God, and I am not. I shared some analogies earlier that fail to explain the Trinity of God. They they fail to perfectly explain the Trinity. I want to close with one analogy that doesn't explain the Trinity but demonstrates its mystery. And I got some help from this from a guy named Michael Harris, and uh, it's been helpful to me. But but imagine that I want to create uh, two figures, right? And so I want to I draw two figures, and uh, they're two-dimensional, and I'm going to name them Mr. And, and Mrs. Fruity, and they live in a 2D world, okay? So the, these are the 2D Fruities, right? <laughs> and they only know two dimensions. They only know shapes like circles and triangles, and they only know two directions, up, down, or left, right. They only know two colors, black and white. These are the 2D fruities. This is all they know, two dimensions. But let's say as their creator, I mean, I live in three dimensions. I know depth. I get that. I know three dimensions, and let's say somehow I want to reach into their world, right? I step into to their 2D world with my three fingers. I want to stick it into the world, but because they only live in two dimensions, they will only perceive me in the two dimensions that they know. And so my three fingers going into the world might appear to them like this. And they could only understand it in the dimensions they, that they know, maybe as circles. And... They had no idea how these three are actually part of one hand. They don't get that. What are you talking about? They're part of one. And, and, and the only way they would be able to understand who I am and the fullness of who I am is if they come out of the page, if they come out of their two dimensions. But to them, that would melt their 2D brains. That would explode their 2D brains because what do you mean come out? That's inconceivable. There is no out. There's only up, down, left, right. They can't understand the dimensions that I exist in and I understand. They are 2D fruities. In the same way, as unfathomable and as senseless as it is to them, when we recognize that God is God 
and we are not, we must accept. If he is the uncreated creator of this universe, if he is the uncreated creator of you and of me, then we must accept that, that this creator exists in dimensions that are beyond us, that are unfathomable, and something that a finite person like me cannot fully wrap my hands or my head around. And instead of rejecting him, because I can't wrap my mind around him, it should draw us closer into awesome wonder and be able to say, God, you are a God of wonders. God, I am so thankful that I wasn't created by another human being like me, that I don't submit my life to another sinful person like me, that I don't throw my life at the feet of another man or another woman like me, but I worship a God who's so far beyond me for you are God and I am not. And the more we understand the truth of the Trinity, the more we stand in awe of his mystery. And only then can we accept what his word says about himself, that he indeed is one God who exists eternally in three persons. And like the first century believers, the people who, who walked the earth the same time he did, who, who acknowledged God the Father and embraced the sacrifice of his son, and experience the filling of the Holy Spirit. We too can give our life entirely and perhaps even die according to this creed. That God is Father, he is Son, and he is Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father God, we sit humbly in your presence. And God, we thank you so much that though you are a God of wonders beyond, beyond anything we could comprehend, Lord, you reached down to know us, that we would be able to know you. You gave us Christ, your son, to tear that veil, to make that possible, that we, we could relate with you. And you give us your Holy Spirit to help us know you more, become more familiar with you each day. And so we thank you, God, that you would love us that deeply. You didn't have to, God. I'm sure you were perfectly fine in eternity just with the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit sharing the spiral of love. And yet you allowed that spiral of love to be interrupted so that we would be invited into fellowship with you, God. Thank you. God, we worship you. I pray that you would help us to know this more and more and help us not just to know it so that we hoard this understanding to ourselves, but help us to know it so that we can share it because people need to know the God of this universe through Christ the Son and the power of his spirit. So help us, God. But right now, we just want to respond. We just want to worship you and declare you are holy, holy, holy. You are Lord God Almighty. We worship you now, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen.